really is an incredible action story. If they made a movie out of it, it would have to come out in kind of sequels and stuff. You know, it would, they would have to. It would be like a Bond movie. There would just be another one and another one and another one because there is so much action uh, in the book of Acts. And, uh, and, and we've looked at this miraculous story of the church. Um, and like every good action story, I don't know how many of you enjoy action movies, but normally in a good action movie, there's a training montage or a kind of a, a montage where the team or the, or the person kind of progresses at a rapid rate to music. It's got some cool music normally. And, uh, and, and you'll have, for example, a boxer that's training. If any of you remember Rocky, Rocky number one is probably the best action montage of all time, training montage, because he's, he's running out. I think it's in the streets of Philly with his, with his tracksuit on, and he's going up the stairs, and he's hitting tires with a sledgehammer. Come on, and, and the music's playing. And, and you know how it is when the montage starts, the guys, they run about 50 meters, and then they're just like done. It's kind of like me. Uh, you know, at this point in my life. So about 50 meters later, they're just like, you know, hobbling off. But by the end of the montage, only a mere two minutes later, they're doing a full 100 meter sprint. And when they're supposed to stop, they just keep going because in two minutes, they got really, really fit, um, you know, during that montage. So, so a good action story has these kinds of things where a boxer trains or a fighter works his way up the ranks or a team progresses to the finals. And the montage kind of shows the highlights of that progression. And so we're going to do a little bit of our own action montage, and we're going to kind of look at just one or two little highlights as the story of the book of Acts progresses. From Acts chapter number 13, the focus really shifts to this guy that we read about in Acts 9 by the name of Paul. He used to be known as Saul. He was against the church. He stood against the church. He persecuted the church. He hated Christianity. He, he dragged Christians off to jail. He even stood by as they were stoned to death. And Paul meets with Jesus in a very real way in Acts chapter number 9. And all of a sudden, his heart is filled with passion. As passionately as he persecuted the church, that's how passionately he is now going out and sharing the good news of the gospel. And now God calls him to take the gospel to the Gentile world. Now, this is the world that previously didn't know God in any way, shape, or form. They served whatever gods they could think up is what they served. But now God sends Paul out and says, he says, I want you to go and preach this good news to people everywhere. Every nation is accepted. Every race is accepted. Every social class is accepted. There's nobody that's excluded from the grace of God. There's nobody that's excluded from the gospel. When Jesus died, he died for all people. And, uh, and so Paul goes on this journey. Uh, and as he's traveling around, he faces many dangers. He faces, he even says at one point, I've been in danger from wild animals. He's sleeping just where, as he walks, he sleeps where he is, and there's, there's wild animals. He's in danger from thieves that would want to rob him. He's, uh, he's imprisoned often. He, he gets beaten often. He gets, uh, he he's just faces all these kinds of dangers. And as he does that, he also sees many churches established. He goes to different cities and preaches the gospel, and many people believe. And as they believe, he establishes churches and sees thousands saved. And so as we read through the chapters 13 to the end of Acts, which is Acts chapter number 28, uh, we see this great action story of Paul's life unfold. In chapter 13, where it all starts, remember we ended in chapter 12 last week. In chapter 13, Paul and Bar Barnabas are in Cyprus with some other believers. And at that time, they're praying. And the Holy Spirit says to them, I want you to separate Paul and Barnabas, and, and I want you to send them out. And so these guys pray over them and send them out. And they go about preaching the word. They preach the word in synagogues. This is our action montage, by the way. 
just kind of imagine it in your head. Paul and Barnabas walking into synagogues, preaching the gospel. Many of the Jews turning, believing that Jesus is the Messiah. They go into the streets to the Gentiles, to people who haven't even heard of God. And they talk about this God who loves them, who died for them, this Jesus who they've seen, who they've connected with, who they know, who is present today. And people believe, the Jews believe, the Greeks believe, the, 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 the Gentile nations believe. They even get the chance uh, to go before a, the, the Roman governor. And they stand before the Roman governor and they, and they declare the message. And, and there's somebody that's opposing them, the sorcerer that's opposing them. And, 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 and Paul turns and he says, you are trying to compete and you're trying to uh, defy the work of God. And so for three days you won't see. And instantly this mirac miraculous things happen. This sorcerer goes blind. Put that in an action montage. He goes blind and he's, he's, he, they literally say they had to lead him out by the hand. And all of a sudden, this happened in front of the Roman governor. Like, if you ever needed a miracle, that would be the time. And, uh, and this amazing miracle happens. Three days later, the sorcerer's sight returns, and he understands that there is a God that is more powerful than any power he's ever known. And, uh, and so Paul does that. He preaches before great and small. He also made a lot of enemies. If you preach the message that people are righteous, that they are made right with God, not because of what they do, but because of the grace of God, you're going to make some enemies. And Paul makes some enemies. In fact, there's an, there's an angry mob that follows Paul, and he tries to evade them. He, he escapes from the one city and goes into a city called Lystra, and, 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 and this mob follows him, finds him, and they begin to stone him. They're like, that's it. We've had enough of this guy's preaching. And they just stone, they're stoning Paul. And, uh, and the Bible tells us, you know, it doesn't tell us whether Paul was completely dead or whether he was just unconscious. Either way, I think when stones are being hurled at your head, uh, you're going to be in bad shape. And they, they drag him out, and they drag him out beyond the city limits, and they, they leave him there, uh, basically, for the, for the birds to feed on. And uh, the Bible says that the disciples gathered around Paul, and he got up. And when he got up, what did he do? Escape? No, he goes straight back into the same city where the people had just stoned him, and he keeps preaching. The Bible says he strengthened believers. He had this passion to let people know about this good God. And that's, that, that's, that's one of the highlights of the story, just uh, you know, Paul getting up after being stoned. We see later on that uh, he goes, they go back to Jerusalem for a little bit, and then we have that moment where Paul and Barnabas split up, and Paul takes Silas with him, goes into the area of Syria, and ends up in a city called Macedonia. And when he's in the city of Macedonia, um, he begins to preach, and and what happens at one point, there's a, there's a girl following them, a slave girl. And we, we read about this uh, during our This I Believe course. But she is declaring, oh, these are the men of God who have come to proclaim the way of salvation. But she does this for many, many, many days. And that's like an understatement where, Paul, where the Bible says, and Paul, greatly annoyed. Uh, can you imagine somebody following you uh, for many days, heralding things behind you? And he turns around, but he recognizes that there's a different spirit at work in this girl. It's actually a spirit that's trying to detract from what God is doing. And so Paul prays for this girl, and, uh, and, and a demonic influence leaves her life. And all of a sudden, she's a changed person. But her owners are not happy about this because they had ways that they were making money out of her and her abilities under demonic influence. And so they're mad. And so they raise all these concerns against Paul and Silas and tell them that these people are coming here and they are preaching things that are unlawful for us to do as Romans. And so they get arrested. Paul and Silas get arrested. And this, by this point, we're in Acts chapter number 16. And uh, they get thrown into prison. 
And that's where I want to pick it up this morning, right? I want to pick it up in Acts chapter number 16. So we've gone from Acts 12 to Acts 16, a little bit of an action montage there. And, uh, and this morning, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to Acts 16 and verse 23. Acts 16 and verse 23. I want to talk a little bit about freedom this morning and the kind of freedom that we have in Jesus. Acts 16, 23. The first thing that they do to Paul and Silas is that they actually beat them before throwing them in prison. So we see in Acts 16, 23, it says, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, the deepest part of the prison, and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. We spoke about prayer last week, just the, the power of, of prayer and the power of connecting with God. And, and this shows us that in life, you can face circumstances where you feel restricted, but the point is, is that if your heart is free, you can never be bound. Whether you're in an inner prison, whether your hands and feet are tied, no matter what your circumstance feels like, if your heart knows God, then you are truly free. And so even though they're tied up, they are filled with joy. They, they're praying and they're worshiping God uh, in the prison. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Uh, this, this, this great earthquake that, that breaks everybody loose, breaks everybody free and opens every door of the prison. We're going to talk about freedom a little bit today uh, in this message entitled True Freedom. Um, but I just want to real quick just pray for us as we get into this. Jesus, we thank you this morning, God, that we can humble ourselves before you right now. Humble ourselves before your word, God. God, so often our preconceived ideas about who you are and about, uh, about the life that you've called us to can can hinder us from, from truly receiving from you. So this morning, we just open our hearts and we just open our minds and we just say, God, if you're real, which we believe that you are, speak to us. God, speak to our hearts, change us, deliver us from, from wrong thinking, God, and, and encourage us this morning to put our faith and our trust in you. God, we're so thankful for the fact that you don't leave us as orphans, the fact that you're involved, the fact that you're present this morning, and we are trusting you to speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. So basically here we have another episode of Prison Break, all right? Those of you that watched the Prison Break series, series one was great. The rest I didn't even watch. Uh, you did, probably didn't either. Uh, it just got weird. Eventually they were tunneling under people's houses and neighborhoods, and like they moved into the suburbs. It got weird eventually. But, but in Prison Break, <laughs> um, you know, the, this idea of getting out of prison, we actually looked at this last week when we looked at Peter when he was in prison and, and the Christians were praying and he was released from prison. So this idea of breaking free from a prison or a restraint is, is actually a reoccurring theme in the book of Acts. And in fact, not only in the book of Acts, but in all of Scripture, it's like God is constantly declaring that He wants people to truly be free. The heart of God is for people to know true freedom. Not many people see God that way. A lot of people see uh, Christianity and, and the church and God as restrictive, as, as God just wanting to put uh, rules in place in your life and measures in place in your life and wanting to keep you from things that you uh, are to enjoy. They see God as, 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 as restrictive and they don't want restriction in their life. A lot of people see freedom as the throwing off of restraint, to have no restraint and 
kind of, they, they advocate this kind of freedom where, where I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. It's the kind of freedom my twin boys are currently advocating at 2 a.m. in the morning when they're in their cots and they, and they, and they say, we want to be free, and they get out of the cots, and, and if we don't close the gate to downstairs, we went down the other night, it's pitch black, but they are having a party downstairs. Hair's all a mess, you know, the, 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 their socks have come off, one sock's missing, they're walking through, they got hold of my hair wax, and they rubbed it on everything. Everything was full of hair wax, and uh, in the morning, we found my wife's glasses in their cot. Now, that's a party. They were out there, what can we take back to the crib, literally the crib, and um, <laughs> what can we hang out with, and, uh, and, and, and every time we put them back in bed, they just want to be free. But when you look at my baby sometimes in the morning around nap time, they are absolutely miserable from not having slept. And so sometimes we're our own worst enemies when we proclaim our own kind of freedom. People have an idea of freedom and they have an idea of God, but they don't really know what true freedom looks like. Honestly, they don't know. I heard the story uh, recently in a, in a newspaper article about a man who was imprisoned here in South Africa and was, was uh, released from prison after serving his time but had gotten so used to prison and prison life after years and years of living in prison that he uh, uh, basically started committing crimes in an effort to be recaptured and sent back there. And sometimes that's us as people, is that we've been living in imprisonment for so long that when we eventually get set free, we don't even know what freedom looks like. We don't know what to do with our freedom. What, what do I do with the freedom? Can I just kind of go back to prison because at least I knew uh, what life was like back there. We see it also with, with the people of Israel when they were captives, they were slaves in Egypt, and they get released by miraculous means, the plagues and the Red Sea opening up, and now they're in the wilderness, and the first speed bump, and they're like, please, can we just go back to Egypt? At least we knew what we were dealing with when we were in Egypt. Now we've got the wilderness, and we have to trust God. And sometimes people go, at least if I can, if I can just kind of set certain parameters and, 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 and see um, my life in a certain light, understand my freedom in a certain way, then I won't have to trust God. But people struggle with this, uh, this issue of freedom in their own lives. People are desperate for freedom. And God wants us to be truly free. In Luke 4 verse 18, it actually tells us, Jesus tells us what, uh, what he came to do. And... He picks up the scroll while standing in a synagogue, and he reads from Isaiah 60, verse 1, and this is the part that Jesus reads, and he's talking about himself. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. In other words, to, to bring healing to the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to captives and freedom prisoners. Jesus came to declare freedom. He came to declare liberty, not the opposite. Everything that God did for us through Jesus is so that we can be truly free, so that we can be free from oppression, so that we can be free from the oppression of our own sinfulness. And this is where uh, captivity and oppression really hits home. Like I said, Paul and Silas, even though they were physically bound, they were free in their spirits, in their hearts. They, they had a right-standing relationship with God. Where people normally see freedom as the throwing off of restraint, true freedom is when you're able, by God's grace, to actually enforce restraint. 
I heard the story of a pastor that was speaking to a group of students once and was speaking about a particular kind of sin that young people often struggle with. And one guy kind of just fed up with this idea that, that he uh, you know, needed to, to conform to some Christian standard. He got up and he said, well, I commit that sin and I do it every day and I have no problem with it. And this pastor responded, he said, that, you know, that's great if you, if you think that's a good thing, but this is the real question. The real question is not, can you do something if you wanted to? The question is, can you stop if you didn't want to? If you didn't want to do that thing any longer? You see, some of us say, well, I can go out and I can do whatever I do, and sure, you can. But the question is, can you stop? And I know that in my life, the most captive I've been is when there are issues that I deal with, sinfulness that I deal with, that I feel I don't have the power to be free from even if I want to be free from it. And that's what Paul speaks about in Romans 7. He says, the, the good things that I really want to do, I don't do those things. And the bad things I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. Who will save me from this body of death? Like, my own heart is a prison. And I need somebody to set me free so that I can live the life that God has called me to live. A life that's truly fulfilling, that honors God, that serves others, that's less self-righteous, that's less selfish. And he says, thanks be to God, through Jesus, I've been set free. We've all been held captive to sin. We've all been held captive to sin. We've all struggled with sinful issues. We're all uh, imprisoned by our own selfishness. But in Galatians 5 verse 1, the Bible says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Just think about that for a moment. That's a scripture that, that tells us that when we are free, God wants us to experience true freedom and live in a way that is free. So you can be free and then live as one who is not free, like the guy who went back to prison, who enforced the, the same restraint. But the Bible says it is for freedom, for a free life that God made us free through Jesus. So God set you free so that you can be free. God makes us free not by controlling our actions. And this is where kind of the rubber hits the road. Not by controlling our actions, but by changing our heart. That's how you get set free, by a changed heart. See, people misunderstand the grace of God. J.I. Packer said that there's no need that's greater in Christianity today than the, than the need of for people to understand, to get a renewed understanding of what the grace of God really is. God's grace is in our life so that our hearts will be changed. And then people say, well, you just preach grace so that people can go out and live any way they want. And my answer is often yes, but they will want to live differently now because their hearts have been changed. You see, Christianity is not about rules. It's not about a list of things that you're supposed to do in order to be good enough for God. It's about your heart being touched and changed by, by the grace of God so that you now actually want to live differently. Christianity is not about have-tos, it's about want-tos. And you will only want the things of God when God has touched your heart. And so when God's grace is present, we do things because we love to do them. Have you ever seen how there are certain things that would, would be things that you wouldn't want to do? But if you love what you do, you do the things even though they're difficult. 
I've used the analogy before of waking up early in the morning. Nobody wants to wake up early on a Monday morning to go to work. Well, most of us. Some of us. Okay, whoever. I'm, I'm praying for you, all right? So nobody wants to wake up early on a Monday and go to work. But if you're waking up early to go on holiday or waking up early to go and play golf or go and do something that you love, it's no problem to wake up early. Because when we love what we do, we'll do it passionately. If we were poor and we weren't free, and somebody had just stoned us for preaching the message of Jesus. If, we, if Paul was doing it out of just mere duty, how many of you know he would get as far from Lystra as he possibly could after having almost been stoned to death? But he gets up and he goes straight back in. I remember hearing the story uh, in ancient Greece. Uh, Greece uh, developed this, this new concept in world warfare where warfare was always conducted by either professional armies or by slaves that were captured in other nations and then put into service of, of the army. But Greece appro approached war differently at a certain time uh, in their history, which was these Greek soldiers known as hoplites, or basically citizen soldiers. In other words, these were normal people that were coming out of their homes and leaving their jobs and taking up arms to defend their families. They weren't fighting because they were told to fight. They weren't fighting because they were slaves. They were fighting because they were free men. And we see in, in the Battle of Thermopylae and the Battle of Marathon that happened in, in, in against the Persians in Greek history that these men fought more bravely than any men or any army that we know of in history because they weren't forced to fight. They were fighting for the things that they loved. And that's the kind of service that God wants us to give him. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Pharisees are doing everything. They, they're offering every kind of sacrifice. And Jesus says to them, I want you to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's going, I don't want just your hollow actions, your slave mentality, your, oh, I'm a Christian, so I better do this. Uh, what I want is your heart, a committed heart that knows me, that's been transformed, that's, that's new, and that loves to do the will of God. That's the kind of heart that pleases God. Not the one that does all the actions, like Jesus says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. No, God wants a, a, a life that's saturated. The Bible speaks about the key to our Christian living is to be in awe of God. That's what it means when the Bible says to fear God and to do what is right. It means you, you stand in awe of Him. I'm just, I'm blown away. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overcome by the goodness of this God. I want to know Him more. I want to be more acquainted with Him. I, I want to serve Him. I want to please Him. Not because I have to, but because He's changed my life. I'm fighting as a free man. And when we serve God, we serve God as free men and as free women. They get to serve God from the heart. And not just with our actions. God doesn't want hollow actions. He wants our heart. Something so powerful in this. And this is why God offers us complete freedom in the gospel. This is why God isn't trying to, to control us through laws and commands. The Bible is not a rule book. It's a love letter. It's, it's letting you know what, how God loves you. He's not trying to force us to do things we don't want to, but setting us free to live for something greater than ourselves. Because here's the key. If you're not able to live for anyone but yourself, it doesn't matter what you think about your life, you're not truly free. If you cannot but live for yourself, then you're not truly free. If the only thing that consumes you is yourself, 
you don't know what it is to live. You don't truly know what it means to live. I was thinking about it this week. I still struggle with selfishness in a major way, and I'm asking God by His grace just to transform my heart. But I'm so thankful that I get to be here on a Sunday, that I get to serve, that I get to work with this incredible team that God has put around me, and that we get to do something that matters, that on a Saturday morning, instead of sleeping in, we get to go and hand out things to the poor, that we get to do things that matter, because at the end of the day, a life that is consumed with self is simply a boring one. You're constantly chasing after your own things, and when you get them, they bore you, and you want the next thing. Have you ever noticed that? There's something that you want so badly that you push and you drive and you save up and you, and you do whatever you can to get that thing. And when you get it, two days later, you're like, ah, oh, it's old now. I need something new to focus on. I've done that many times. I have these projects. You can ask my wife. I have these projects. I remember when I wanted a new mountain bike. And I did everything. I, you know, if I was going to go and buy a cold drink, I was like, wait, I'm now going to take the 10 rand I was going to pay on the cold drink, put it in a box. It's going towards the bike fund. And I, would, and I would just fill up the bike fund until eventually I had saved up about 8,000 rand. And I went over to, uh, to the shop and I bought this bike I had my eye on. And I did ride it. I rode it for a while and I did enjoy it for a while. But now that bike is standing outside of my yard next to my trailer and it's rusted and it's kind of not as great as it used to be. Now I'm like, I need a new bike. <laughs> no, um, I've, I've kind of let that one lay for a little while. But, um, but the point is, is that There is nothing in this life that can hold our eternal fascination. The only thing that can truly hold our fascination is God and His purpose for our lives. That's what makes me get up in the morning. That's what makes me get up on a Sunday. And every single Sunday I get up, I am so excited to be here to share the Word. I'm so excited to go out on a Saturday. It doesn't mean that it's always easy, but it's always rewarding. It's always fulfilling. So that's what it means to really live. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19, Paul again writing here, the same Paul that we've been talking about, and he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win some of them. In this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is a great chapter, especially for leaders and for Christians to read. Because what Paul starts off by saying, he says, Am I not free? In the gospel, am I not free to do whatever I want? If I want to get married, am I not free to get married? If I want to to make money through preaching the gospel, he even goes this whole long passage saying uh, how it's scriptural for people who preach the message and who do the work of God to earn a living from that. Those who who preach the gospel must earn a living through the gospel. That's what what Paul says. He goes, uh, it's due to me that I should earn a living from this. It's due to me that I should be able to marry. He speaks about eating and drinking. He says, can I not eat whatever I want and drink whatever I want? I am free. Then he says, but even though I am free, I make myself a servant of all. In other words, I want to use my freedom in a way that reaches people, that benefits others. So even when I need to uh, restrict myself in certain ways, I will do it for the good of others. And we see that Paul didn't want the gospel to be hindered. So even though people could have uh, paid him money for what the work that he was doing, he refused to receive money from them and rather worked, especially in Corinth, for two or three years, he worked making tents for a living. Why? 
so that his earning of money, nobody can point a finger and say, well, Paul just does this for money. He wanted people to know. And he knew that anything that hindered the message of the gospel, he wanted to be free from. So he says, although I am free, I've made myself a servant to all. He says, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I became like those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became like one outside of the law. To those who were weak in the faith, I became like the weak. He speaks about eating, and he speaks about how those who were weak in their faith thought that if you eat certain things, especially those things sacrificed to idols, that it could affect you somehow and make you unrighteous. And he goes, so when I'm with the weak, I consider the weakness of their faith, and I abstain from those things as well, so that what I do doesn't become a stumbling block to them. But when I'm with the strong, I'm, I'm, I'm like the strong. And he ends off by saying, I have become all things to all men. Why? So that I might win some of them. So that I might lead some of them into this relationship with Jesus. With Jesus. So Martin Luther kind of echoes this. Martin Luther, the great Christian reformer, he says, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all. Perfectly free if you're a Christian. There's no restraint, there's no rules, there's no, no things that are holding you down. He says, subject to none. We don't let anybody disqualify us for the prize, Colossians 2 says. But he goes on, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Sometimes in Scripture we have these things that seem contradictory, but when you understand the gospel, they are perfectly complementary. That we can at the same time become perfectly free and at the same time uh, serve all like a dutiful servant. That you can be both free and slave at the same time. This is what happens when God changes our hearts. We're at the same time both free and servant. At the same time, we're, we're free to do as we please, yet God has so changed our hearts that what we want to do, what we, we, we can do what we please, but what pleases us is to please God. That's what God does in our hearts, to live for others. The Bible speaks about, and I may have mentioned this before, but the Bible speaks about us before we came to know Jesus, being slaves of sin. And if you just think about very logically the concept of a slave, a slave pretty much can't escape. A slave is forced to do what uh, the master wants it to do. So the Bible says that formerly you were slaves to sin. In other words, you were imprisoned. If you wanted to get away from your sinfulness and live a different kind of life, sin is your master that's going to come and fetch you, capture you if you're running away, and bring you back, and force you to, to obey its will. And so many of us have tried to run away from sin, but find that no matter how hard we run, somehow we still end up sinning in one way or another. But the Bible says that we are no, now no longer slaves to sin. Jesus has opened the prison doors. We've now become slaves of righteousness. And when I first read that, I thought, okay, so I've kind of gone from being a slave to a slave. doesn't sound very great. But being a slave of righteousness is actually an incredibly hopeful thing. Because think about what that means. That means that when we try and run away from God's will for our lives, when we try and run away from our righteousness in Christ, when we try and deny who we are in Jesus, Jesus is like the, the loving taskmaster who fetches us and brings us back and says, no, you're going to live righteously. It's my grace in your life. You can't but be transformed. You can't but grow in your relationship with God because we've been made slaves of righteousness. We are, we are on a path that the Bible says grows brighter every day. 
And that's a very hopeful thing for me. In 1 Peter 2 verse 16, Peter chips in on this idea of freedom a little bit later on. And he says, live as people who are free. Live as people. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We don't use the freedom that God has given us to just do what we want or to cover up evil deeds. We do it so that we can truly live as servants of God. So we come back to Paul and Silas sitting in the prison. And they're sitting there for preaching the gospel, but their hearts are so free. They are so gripped by the goodness of Jesus and the purpose of Christ. And I believe that we've all been gripped by this sinfulness and, 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 and held captive even to the law. Even when we decide we're going to be good and we, and we try and follow the law, it holds us captive because there's no way we can ever fulfill it. There's no way we can ever be good enough. But as they're sitting there, the Bible tells us that they're praising, they're praying, they're worshiping God, and all of a sudden there's an earthquake. And this earthquake breaks their bonds off of them. It just falls off of them and, and opens up these prison doors. And whenever I hear about an earthquake anywhere in the New Testament, I think about what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Because the Bible tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, when he said uh, that, that it is finished, when he declared that the work of righteousness has been made complete, the Bible says that all of a sudden there was an earthquake and, and the, the rocks were split open, rocks split open and the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom and, and even graves were opened up and people were raised from the dead. In that moment, as Jesus died on the cross, there was this miraculous earthquake that happened. And I see that even as we are prisoners sitting in prison bound by sin, it was what Jesus did on the cross that caused our chains to fall off. It's what Jesus did on the cross that caused the prison doors to swing wide open. That's what he came to do. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. I have come to preach liberty to the captives and freedom to those who are in prison. That's why we look to the cross, because even though it was a symbol of, 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 of a criminal punishment and, and, and execution, to us it has become a symbol of life, because it's the moment Jesus made us free, brought us into a relationship with God. So these prison doors fling wide open. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've been caught and imprisoned in the inner prison and chained up, and I know that these men are intending to do me some harm. If there is an earthquake and my chains fall off and the prison doors open, I'm not hanging around, right? I'm not hanging around. I am down the road. I'm, I'm praising God. I'm thanking Him. But now I'm doing it running away, right? I want to get as far from that prison so that I don't get captured again. I don't want to go back into chains. I want to get, get away from that place. But look at what Paul and Silas did. This is an amazing, the amazing thing about this story. We're just going to carry on in that story, Acts 16, and we're going to go now from verse 27. And it says, And when the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, which is the logical uh, thought that you would have uh, if all the doors are open. And, and, and he's ready to kill himself because he realized he failed, and under Roman law, they didn't treat uh, failures. Remember, they're in Macedonia. It's under the Roman control. You could be put to death for not following commands. 
And so he thought, rather than having the Romans kill me, I'm just going to kill myself. He's completely at this point without hope. He takes out his sword, and he wants to end his own life. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Paul and Silas are free to go and do whatever they want. Their prison doors have been opened. But what do they do? They stay behind. They stay behind. And here is the very man who was in charge of keeping them in prison. And instead of, of allowing him to kill himself or harm himself, which is sometimes, unfortunately, what some Christians do. Sometimes we can be so self-righteous that when people are despairing over their failure, we want to go, okay, cool, let me help you thrust this sword. <laughs> Just let me, yeah, you should be, you should be sorry. You know, and, and, and we want to almost enforce their failure. But this is not what Paul and, and Silas do. They go, don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself. We're still here. We stayed behind. We haven't run away. You see, under the law, failure equals death. When you try and live according to how good you are or how bad you are, when you mess up, you co become completely hopeless and despondent. But Paul is still there as a, a representative of heaven, and he doesn't condemn this man. And that's the good news of the gospel, that God doesn't condemn us for our sins because he already condemned Jesus on the cross so that we can be free. God is not trying to enforce our condemnation. God is trying to set us free from condemnation, free from sin, so that we can live a free kind of life. And Paul declares to this man, you too can be free. The guy asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul speaks the word of the Lord to them. He preaches the message of the cross. And this whole family, the whole family, not just the jailer, receives Jesus and gets baptized. And the Bible says they, they, they experience the joy of coming to know Jesus. And the very first thing that this man does after receiving them is take them back to his house and he starts feeding them a meal. You see, when God sets you free, all you want to do is serve. You're not forced to serve. You, you want to serve because God has set you free. This is the message. The message is that people can be right with God. The message is that people can live lives that are truly free and use the freedom that, that God has given them. We can use the freedom that God has given us. But true freedom means that instead of serving ourselves, we now want to serve others. How do we use our freedom as Christians? Do we use it to, to glory in ourselves and to, and to do whatever we want? Or do we grab a hold of something deeper in life and we say, I want to live for something more? I want to love people. I want to give myself up, even if it means restricting some of my freedom so that I can love people and help people and serve people. I want to be a part of the church. The church is the vehicle through which God uh, reaches this world. 
It's His body on earth. And I want to be a part of it, even though it might mean that I have to wake up some mornings a little bit earlier, or I have to, to do a little bit more, or give a little bit more, or be a part of something that I haven't been a part of before. I'm willing to do it, because I want to lay a hold of a freedom that is true, where I am living for something that is greater than myself. I want to be a part of that narrative of redemption, that story of God changing a city, just like these men were in the book of Acts. So we have been made completely free. But at the same time, because of love, the love of Christ compels us. We also make ourselves servants of all.